relax, grab a coffee, some popcorn. This one is going to be... Hello, everybody, and welcome to the fifth installment, big number five for Behind the Politics. I am your host, Ben Krause, and I'm joined by Shada today. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. I It's a beautiful day out today. It really and, is. Um, it really is. I mean, I we're in different states, but, yeah. <laughs> but overall, beautiful day out today. Yes. So um, if it is your first time joining us, how we do this is we go through a news briefing with COVID news, election news, international news, sometimes some political TikTok news in, inside of that. And then we move on to a story of the week, this week being the, the debate and the recent uh, news about Trump's uh, COVID. So that, that's going to be interesting to talk about. And then we go into an interview this week is with Nyla about feminism. So diving right into some COVID news, the United States has now passed 7.3 million cases and 207,000 deaths. Worldwide, we have 34.1 million cases with 1.2 million, 1.02 million deaths. CEO Albert Burla, head of Hifser, one of the drug makers for COVID-19 vaccine, told his employees that he would be disappointed that the vaccine work is becoming politicized. Burla says that the company is, quote, moving at the speed of science, end quote. Burla wrote that he was unsure when the vaccine would go out to the American families or if it would even be approved by the FDA. Top officials say that the vaccines won't reach the hands of the public until mid-2021. On to some election news, following the debate, some post-debate polling, when asked the question who won, 48% of people said Biden, 41% said Trump, and 10% said it was a tie. When asked, did you have an improved opinion of the candidate, 38% of people said that their uh, opinion was improved for Biden and 24% for Trump. Financial Times election predictions reported that last the last update was October 1st, 2020. It predicted that Biden would receive 279 electoral votes compared to 125 for Trump, not including 134 potential electoral votes that are toss-ups. Post-election, Biden has an increased prob- uh, probability of winning in the majority of these key battleground states, including notable ones such as Florida, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Arizona. Moving on to some international news, following up on the story of- on Alexei Navalny, he personally believes that Vladimir Putin was behind the poisoning. The, uh, the context of the story was Navalny was mysteriously poisoned on August 20th when he was returning to Moscow from Siberia. He was poisoned by a nerve agent called the Novichok, which was a poison used by the Soviets. He was then put into a hospital in Germany, and, it was a, and he was in a coma before finally leaving the hospital late last month. Navalny claims that the Soviet-era nerve agent was orchestrated by Russian intelligence agencies that only Putin can instruct them to use the poison. Putin denies this and even suggests that Navalny could have poisoned himself. This will be a story that we will have to watch for. Now we can finally get into the story of the week, which is the debate. And there, there were a couple standout moments for both candidates. Do you want to start with some standout moments for Biden? Yeah, sure. Uh, one of the standout moments that a lot of people took notice of was the mention of Bo Biden, uh, Joe Biden's son, and also the mention of Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, who struggled with a cocaine addiction. And uh, Biden mentioned, quote, my son, like a lot of people, uh, you know, at home had a drug problem. He's fixed it. He's worked on it. And I'm proud of him. I'm proud of my son, end quote. This was an extremely humanizing moment for Biden, as many Americans have struggled or are close to someone who has struggled with substance abuse. 
When Trump was asked to condemn white supremacist militia groups, President Trump initially responded with, quote, sure, I'm prepared to do that. But I would say almost everything I see is from the left wing, not from the right wing. If you look, I'm willing to do anything. I want to see peace, end quote. Biden then asked Trump to denounce these groups and specifically the Proud Boys, a far right militia. Trump said, quote, Proud Boys, stand back and stand by. But I'll tell you what, somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left because this is not a right-wing problem. This is a left-wing problem, end quote. This was, of course, very problematic to many people as it was a deflection uh, of the question, and it seemed to many people as Trump not wanting to condemn white supremacist groups. Yeah, and, and, and we saw afterwards with, with the Proud Boys, they ended up um, tweeting out that they were, it, it's almost like uh, Trump was congratulating them, and, and they were super happy about it. They were stoked. Which I, I think should should be um kind of kind of scary for for some people that the yeah, Proud Boys, although although maybe not strictly white supremacist group, they they are I would say a far right militia, and yeah. um to have them be be happy and and kind of celebrate this whole thing should be kind kind of scary to the to the average citizen. Yeah, and, and 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 what you said about like Hunter's addiction, it was a really humanizing moment for Biden. He really could connect with people because there's a lot of, there's a lot of drug problems in, uh, in America. It's one of the problems that we really need to fix. And, and to see, to see him talk about something so close to him and, and to actually say that he's gone through it, he's, he's worked through it. Uh, it is really humanizing and it really appeals to the people that have, that have had drug problems in their home. So I think that was something that, that Biden did very well. Yeah, I agree. And I think uh, something that Biden did a really great job of was turning to the camera and specifically having that conversation with the American people. He did a great job of doing that. And I think it allowed for people to connect with him more and connect with his stories more. And this is something that the DNC and Joe Biden have been pushing for throughout his campaign. They've been yeah. pushing the fact that he is, they, they, they basically pushed, pushed the narrative that Trump is not pro-America, he's pro-Donald Trump's America. Right. So they're, they're pushing this narrative even more with, with yes, he's looking into the, into the camera, talking to all of America, all of America. He, right. They're pushing the fact that he's bipartisan. That, that, that's where I think he can win the election. If he keeps yeah. preaching this bipartisanship and he ultimately follows through with his bipartisanship, that's where he can win the election. Because I've been yeah. saying this, I've been saying this for weeks. The moderate Republican vote is who is going to decide the election. Yeah, it's either, yeah, it's either the moderate Republicans are going to go for Trump, or they're going to go for Biden, and, yeah. and that that is really key. And 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 Trump Trump making these comments towards Trump's America, and and then Biden making these comments kind of towards America as a whole, and and preaching bipartisanship should appeal to those moderate Republicans, in my opinion. So I yeah. think that's the DNC is really capitalizing on this. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a net positive for, for Biden. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And I guess we'll just wait to see what happens in the next few debates with that. Yeah. I, and I mean, we'll get into it, into it uh, further, but tr the next, next couple of debates might not even happen because right. of Trump's COVID. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll get into that, get into that in a little bit, right. but um, I, I'd, I'd like to talk about some standout moments for, for Trump. And I think we can all agree, anybody, pro-Trump or anti-Trump, the beginning portion about the Supreme Court was very bad for Biden. Yes. Because Biden was unable to confirm whether or not 
he uh, supported the action of court packing. And and this is not like he 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 dodged the question, as a lot of people would say. He didn't he didn't give a straight answer, which we could see the entire night. But um, the whole Supreme Court section really did not go in Biden's favor at all. He he just to, to some Americans, he might have seemed um, ill informed to some Americans. He might have seen as a liar. Um, but he he also in this in this section tossed around some words uh, such as will you shut up? man uh yeah not 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 the kindest of words which is he it just was not not a great area it was a really um, messy segment it was a very messy segment which you could see throughout the entire um the entire uh little spiel yeah yeah i agree so i would say that was the big standout moment for trump is that whole supreme court section because yeah. and and every, every other kind of section I'd say was pretty 50-50 maybe even even but definitely that one part is where I'd be like wow Trump is destroying him and right. then when like we said when he went to the white supremacist groups and, and the addiction part I'd be like wow Biden is destroying him but um and then I'd also like to comment um on people saying that Donald Trump actually did condemn white supremacy groups Right. Yeah. I so they 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 bring up the word sure because mm-hmm. he did say he did say sure and they said sure I'm prepared to do that and in my opinion I I don't know about other people but that's not that's not a straight answer of of yeah. saying I I condemn white supremacist groups and it's not necessarily the fact of oh has he done it in the past has like has he condemned white supremacist groups in the past I don't I don't care if he has the whole thing the fact of the matter is. This is the biggest audience he has been talking to since his inauguration. And yeah. and the fact that he has that many people watching and the fact that he failed to say the words, yes, I condemn white supremacy, that that's terrifying. Yeah. And, that, exactly. and that's bad for Biden. Yeah. And I think or good for Biden. <laughs> one of the bigger things also is uh, telling them to stand back and stand by. Uh, not only is it a deflection, but it's like a lot of people are left thinking, well, what does that mean? What does stand yeah. by mean? Yeah. And, and it's actually uh, stand back and stand by is actually a military term. Uh, I, right. And it, I'm, I, it, to my knowledge, it means um, to await orders. So do I think yeah. he meant it in that way? Not at all. I don't think he he meant it in you should await orders. But in a military sense, being the law and order guy that he is, I think he definitely knew that that's an underlying tone that could be said. Right. And how it could have been perceived potentially by these groups. Yes, yes, yes. So yeah. now we can kind of, so there was kind of five major parts of this, of this uh, debate. First, mm-hmm. it was the Supreme court, then the economy, then race and protests kind of, I would say it's one group and then yeah. COVID and the integrity of the election. Yeah. So is there any kind of spot you want to start at? Well, um, I guess we could look at COVID. That was that is that was a huge part of the debate, and obviously a huge uh, part of what Biden's platform is kind of running off of. And uh, a lot of a standout quote, I think, for me from Biden was when he said that Trump should fund what needs to be funded and focus on the American people rather than trying to divide everybody. And they and Trump, I noticed, talked a lot about potential vaccines for the virus. There wasn't really much uh, going on uh, other than saying that Biden would have 
potentially done worse. And yeah, that's what I noticed about that segment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the whole thing about the COVID section for me was one of them, they, they, they both acknowledged the existence of COVID, which I think is something yes. uh, correct. There is COVID. But um, it's, it's just the way that they addressed it after that. Trump was addressing it in the, in the tense that we've already really dealt with it and we already have a vaccine that we're going to push out. And Biden was pushing the fact that, no, we're just getting started with COVID and we really need to crack down in order to, in order to stop it. I guess this is a good little funnel point to, uh, to follow up is that Trump, uh, I think it was it the day after, two days after he, uh, two days after, yeah. two days after he got tested positive for the coronavirus. So yeah. it, it's, it's really, it's, it's weird to see that he, he basically said that COVID was almost over and that they all had it all under control. And then he tested positive for, for the virus, which is yeah. really interesting to me. It's and um, ironic. Yeah, it's ironic, and it's just such a coincidential timing yeah, for, for that agree. to happen. And there's a lot of and there's a lot of Republicans that have now um tested positive for uh for corona. So it is getting widespread about the uh the White House, which is one reason that he got sent to the uh to the hospital that he got sent to. And yeah. um so yeah. I guess next we can move on to I thought a big pivotal point for Biden was about the the race and protests, which is yeah. where the uh, the white supremacy sort of sort of thing like fell. Yeah. So do you have any comments on on what Biden brought to the race and protest uh, section? Well, he he I think he approached it with more of a reconciliation type of stance where his main uh, point was pushing through that we should be reconciling divided communities, uh, whereas it seems that uh, to, to Biden, it seems that Trump is dividing them, or at least that's what he mentioned. Um, yeah, that's that's basically it. Yeah. And like we've seen with the RNC and, and Trump, he's continuing to push this narrative that he is the law and order president. Yeah. He, he made it known a lot during the debate that he is a law and order president. And he actually ended up pointing out to to Joe Biden, he's like, yeah, if you're so pro uh, law enforcement, why do you not have any law enforcement groups supporting you? And that's right. one thing that Trump was like, he, that was a good point for him. He didn't have any, Biden, I don't think has any major law enforcement groups um, endorsing him. Right. But uh, at the same time, Joe Biden did say, I support law enforcement, which is, yes. which is also important for him to, to say. So yeah. I, I definitely, and then of course the the white supremacy thing happening in there. Yeah, uh, it's it's it, it was a it was a fumble in that area. I think I think that might have stole the show for that segment. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess we can go back to the economy. Yes. So so the economy, Trump uh, is known for preaching his economy, right? And he definitely did so in the debate. He he said that his economy was booming. His Everything about his economy is perfect, and that that they're now making a V-shaped recovery. That yeah. that's important—a V-shaped recovery, meaning that just as fast as it went down, it's just as quickly coming back up. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure Biden Biden basically said that it was actually at like a, a K. I'm pretty sure yeah. is what he said. Yeah, he said was- it was a K K-shaped recovery, and he also said, uh, "quote You can't fix the economy until you fix the COVID crisis." End quote. 
which is also something very interesting that he brought into it because Trump, um, of course, closed the economy uh, yeah. earlier earlier in the year. And um, and yeah, Biden does not think that COVID is, is done with. Yes. And, yeah, and Trump does. So I think and any other takeaways from the from the economy portion of the debate? Yeah, uh, well, I found that Biden, again, he turned and he focused on having that conversation with the American people, uh, saying, quote, millionaires and billionaires like Donald Trump in the middle of the COVID crisis have done very well, end quote, describing Trump's Trump's tax proposals as being profligate. So that was, I think, uh, something that could have potentially resonated with a lot of people, especially now during this COVID crisis where there, we've seen like this economic recession and a lot of people who are out of jobs and middle to lower class families are struggling. So I think that could have been um, uh, uh, something that resonated with a lot of people. Yeah. And, and I think another thing that we all knew Biden was going to talk about was Trump's tax returns. Yep. He brought it up. He brought it up in the um, in this part. And, and yeah. Trump's response was, quote, you will see the tax returns when they're finished. Right. So this is something that Hillary Clinton has been asking for since uh, the last election. Yeah. Hillary was like, I need to see your tax returns. Like, I need them. And then he I think he had the same response. You'll see them when they're finished. Or yeah. or, or or he made the statement, I've done nothing wrong. So I think now we just got to wait to see if he really did use loopholes or if he legitimately just didn't pay his taxes. Right. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see that. Yeah. And then we, we already kind of went through the. um. Supreme Court about Donald Trump's uh, appointee. Biden ended up talking about the Affordable Care Act. Um, uh, yeah. So yeah, we already kind of went through the Supreme Court. I think a big a to- we could have a whole episode on this, just the integrity of the election as a whole. Yes, agreed. Do you have any? Do you have any like comments about the integrity of the election? Well, obviously, uh, the main point that they were talking about during that segment was the mail-in ballots and whether or not um, they could lead to a fraudulent election. Um, Yeah, Trump obviously is very much against these mail-in ballots uh, because he does believe that there could be fraud uh, involved with those. And Biden, uh, again, he encourages voting by any means, uh, including the mail-in ballots, saying, quote, he cannot stop you from being able to de- determine the outcome of this election, end quote. So obviously that was uh, kind of the main the main points being mentioned during that segment. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure when he was saying this, again, he turned to the camera, he pointed at the camera and said, you need to vote by any yeah. means possible, like you need to vote. So I think that's another another point with like the bipartisanship and the and the holistic America, you know. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, and and Trump has been against these mail in ballots for for a while, and he thinks that there is kind of widespread fraud that happens yeah. with with mail in ballots, which I simply don't think is true. Um, you you can think it's true all you want, but right. I don't think there's widespread fraud in in mail-in elections. The one thing that I'm concerned about is whether or not he will send mail-in ballots to the Supreme Court yes, to, to yeah. see if it's deemed unconstitutional. Because yeah. the voting is happening after election day, mm-hmm. which can be seen as unconstitutional in, in some senses. And it can be seen as unconstitutional, just like the function, the structure of, of the mail-in system. 
But yeah. it'll be interesting to see if Trump puts these mail-in ballots on the Supreme Court and whether or not it's deemed unconstitutional or, con- or constitutional. Yeah, I agree. And obviously, this is something that a lot of people are wondering about because with COVID, there are certain people who won't be able to leave their houses and go to the polls and vote on election day. And so their only way of voting is through these mail-in ballots. So it's going to be uh, interesting to see uh, what happens with that. De- definitely something to and keep keep up with. Agreed. So I, I guess that I mean we, we can go into more of, of COVID's um into more of Trump's COVID. So uh it, it was I think it was Hope Hick, right, that, that he contracted it from. Or that it's allegedly that he contracted it from. But um so yes, Trump has fallen ill of COVID. And at first they said that he had mild symptoms. Now he was um he was sent to the Walter Reed National Military Medical Center, which is where all the uh the presidents go and military personnel go yeah. for uh, they, they say right now it's just so he can be isolated away from people. Uh, well, we'll wait to see if he's actually having real symptoms or real uh, troubling systems symptoms. Yeah. But um, for right now, all we know is that he's in the hospital with COVID him and his wife both have COVID. And um, so yeah, that, that, that's all we know. And, and we also know that Biden and his wife tested negative. right yeah so that that that's what we know yeah it was really interesting um to see that the the biden campaign actually uh figured out that the trump campaign uh was dealing with covid through the news so that was that was something that was really interesting yeah 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 agreed yeah so i guess to summarize major points of the election were that nobody won and only america lost um (laughs) Yeah. It was it ultimately it was uh it was a wreck. It was it really was just two kindergartners uh having yeah. an argument over who wants the last donut. Right. And, um right. and yeah. So that's all we have for the um story of the week. Uh, it was great having you on. And, yeah, uh, thanks for having yeah. me. Welcome to the interview portion of the podcast. I'm joined here with Nyla. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good. Yeah, no, it's it's been an interesting day for political TikTok. Um, we, we, we won't get into it now, but it's been an interesting day. But uh, so before we get into the depth of this interview, which is feminism, uh, we, we just have to ask you the corny questions about politics and stuff. So how did you get into politics? Um, I think this is kind of like, it's kind of like a crazy story because it wasn't one thing where it was like one thing happened and all of a sudden I decided like, oh yeah, this is what I like. It was kind of gradual. So like starting probably like the beginning of high school when I joined like model Congress and stuff, but I wasn't like as into it as I am now. I think the thing that like really pushed me over the edge was, you know, like starting to talk about politics with like a lot of the people that I go to school with. Cause I live in like a super conservative, super Trump supporter town. So I feel like after talking to a bunch of people from my school and getting to like kind of debates with people from my school, I kind of delved more, delved deeper into it because I wanted to know more so that I could, you know, bring actual like facts to the table. So, so basically what you're saying is you, you, you got into uh, politics to refute the people at your school. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sweet, sweet. So how, how did you get into uh, political TikTok specifically? Um, I used to be like scared of posting my political content on my main 
So I did a, I joined a Zoom debate um, on some random girl's Zoom. I honestly forget what it was. And I basically met a bunch of people through there and we created our own group account, which I'm no longer a part of, but um, we created our own group account. And then once I was like posting like, you know, a lot on that account, I joined the pro-choice hype house and, you know, I learned, like I was learning from the people around me. I kept joining like Oliver's Zooms and stuff. And then that kind of pushed me into being like, you know what, I should post political content on my main. And, you know, just from there, I just, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So now we can kind of get into the depth of this interview, which which is feminism. So could could you give like a, just a baseline definition of feminism for the people that don't necessarily know what feminism is? Yeah, sure. Um, feminism is basically just advocating for the equality of the sexes. Awesome. And and do you think that there's a lot of um, misconceptions with with that definition? Most definitely. Um, I have a lot of people coming to me saying like. You know, they support um, they support women and men being equal, but feminism is like pushing for women being more than men or, you know, something along that basis. And I think that like, that's kind of where it gets misconstrued because people don't actually, you know, look into it once they kind of think that it's all about women being better than men. Yeah. So I guess what, what do you what does it mean to you to be a feminist? Um, I think. Being a feminist isn't just saying like, yeah, women and men should be equal. Like, I mean, I would hope that most people would think that. But I think being a feminist is like about donating or like sharing things to actually contribute to the movement, going to protests or whatever. And I know like not a lot of people can donate, like, you know, people's don't people don't have a lot of money or whatever, but like whatever you can do to like support the movement and try to like get the word out there, I think that that is really what's going to help in the end. Yeah, and, and some people think that you, to be a feminist, you have to be a female. Uh, like, we, can you think, do, do you think you can be a, uh, a male feminist? 100%. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like, like I said, it's like, even men, um, feminism also aims for um, males to have equality. Like, there are a lot of things, there are a lot of, like, social issues. Um, um, you know, kind of going around men and what their roles should be and women and what their roles should be. So I think, you know, whatever gender you are, it it's something that um everyone can, you know, come together on. So so basically what I'm hearing is feminism isn't necessarily just about women's rights. It's it's about the equality of of women and men. Yes, most definitely. Okay, okay. So why do you think this term has been twisted or changed into what, what you said earlier? Um, well, I think that kind of goes into the different waves of feminism. And I think like, that's kind of where it gets a little confusing because it starts with like first and second wave feminism, which is kind of like, it's easy to understand. Like first wave feminism is like, you know, you want, um, you want equality for like the laws and stuff. Cause you know, the laws were super, um, super unequal. But once it gets to kind of society, I feel like that's when it gets a little, it gets a little confusing for people. So like third wave feminism technically is kind of, mm, kind of misunderstood just because there's not a set definition, you know, as it was with like laws, since it's societal, it's, it's a little more difficult. So 
Yeah. So, so could you elaborate on what third wave feminism is trying to achieve? Um, basically third wave feminism is, you know, just trying to abolish the patriarchy, you know, try to get rid of these standards for men and women. And it also has been revolving around the whole Me Too movement with the um, rape accusations and stuff, which is probably why people think that it's women versus men and not something that all of us can come together for. Yeah. And and, and we kind of hit on, so, so what are the most popular misconceptions because we talked that there are misconceptions what are the most popular misconceptions we can kind of dive deeper into those and maybe their fallacies uh i think the most popular one is definitely when people say that it's not needed because they think that equality of the sexes is based off of um based off of the state and based off of laws kind of and based off of like direct things that may um affect women or may affect men and 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 what what would your rebuttal for that be like like why do you think it's an it's important to have third wave feminism because of that that issue um well i mean there's different sides to everything so i mean i'd say starting off if someone said that it wasn't needed i would probably just start with the fact that going by the basic definition of feminism it doesn't really say that it needs to be needed like advocating for something is just you know supporting it so i think like everyone should support should support the equality of the sexes but also like i said it goes into societal things so like such as like human trafficking like rape cases like crimes how it's like men get incarcerated more than women men commit more crimes it all kind of builds into this whole society you know societal structure thing yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I guess another question I would ask you is, do, do, we, do we see more feminists um, nowadays with Gen Z than, than we have in the past? Not necessarily like first wave feminism, but like in the last decade, do you think the younger generation has been leaning more towards uh, feminist ideals? Um, I think Generation Z is kind of more... I don't want to say... Kind of more woke. <laughs> like... Um, I feel like now this, especially this year with everything that has been going on, I feel like this is our generation is the generation to like open our eyes and like actually look at the things that are going wrong in the world. And I definitely think that this year, especially more people are becoming feminists and more people are speaking out about injustices in the world. And, and are there certain like points that we can contribute that to? Like, I, I, I know specifically I would I would point that to uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passing away. but. Are there any other like key points that can contribute to this generation being as 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 you said, quote unquote, woke? Um, I think definitely. Um, I think Trump was a big one with him getting elected, and I think that was kind of a whole war with the feminist movement not liking Trump and his administration. Um, but yeah, I definitely think that the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg has contributed largely to this as you know people are worried about um abortion becoming illegal and like roe v wade being overturned and and do you do you think in these in these next couple couple weeks months um leading up to the um election and and uh appointed of um appointees of um the supreme court 
do do you think there's going to be more feminist marches, more people coming out and saying that they are a feminist because of the the recent tragedy and loss of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Um, definitely. I think it's all going to, it all kind of starts, um, with the women's march. Um, that's the first kind of recognition of everything. And I feel like if you were like split on Biden versus Trump or whatever, I feel like this is the time where most pro-choicers come together and we're like, okay, this is such a tragic thing. Trump is trying to fill the seat with someone who is going to have Roe v. Wade overturned, and this is kind of going to bring people together more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was actually going to ask about the Women's March on October 17th. So could you explain a little bit about like what this march is is trying to do and, and where it is happening? Um, I am going to the Women's March in D.C. on the 17th. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that there are other locations, but I'm not sure where they are. But since I live kind of in the area, I'll be going to the DC one. But um, basically, this is, this is about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So um, all the feminists, you know, we're going to come together and um, protest basically how Trump, you know, right after she died was like talking about, um, you know, fill that seat, like trying to already appoint someone different when, um, if you compare it to like 2016, uh, he was opposed of when Obama wasn't supposed to um, appoint a new justice. Yeah. So do, do you think if Amy Coney Barrett does get the seat, Roe v. Wade would be overturned or would be brought up to the uh, Supreme Court? I think it's definitely a large possibility. Um, sometimes things can get a little confusing with the government and like the Supreme Court and what they can do versus what they cannot do as, you know, it was protected by the Constitution, but if you have the Supreme Court and they do overturn it, uh, I don't think there would be much that we could do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I, I, I don't know if you touched on this, but is, is this Women's March happening all, all over the country? Is it just specifically in D.C.? Like, how, how can other people get involved? Yeah, I'm pretty sure there are different locations. Um, I'd have to check again since I was looking at this a couple of days ago. But um, I know because I'm in the area, usually a lot of like things, things that I go to, like marches and stuff happen in D.C. since I just like live over here. But I'm pretty sure there are other ones that are around, that are across the country. Yeah, yeah. And, and have you seen these recent events with, with the marches, the, the, the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg? How, do you think this is bringing Gen Z together? And, and have have the common goal and bond of 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 this kind of feminist ideals. Yeah, I definitely think that this is bringing the this is bringing people together, not just our generation, but I think it's kind of bringing together all feminists of all ages of whatever generation. It's kind of, you know, causing people to come together. It reminds me of like the BLM protests um, where it didn't matter you know, what your race was or whatever, but you come together for a certain thing that you know that you have in common with someone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it seems like that these ideas of feminism are are more prevalent in our time, even, even over uh, first wave feminism. So why would you say that other times we didn't see this popularity, but now we do? Specifically widespread popularity between, between uh, men, uh, women, and, and all the like. 
Um, I think it's part of the part of the reason that like after first and second wave feminism, we've had different mindsets, um, you know, going into things. So for example, if you like went all the way back to like the 1800s, obviously our generations have much different ideals as theirs. So over time, after these movements have already happened, after the first two, like, you know, movements have already happened, I think everyone has kind of been more open to change and everyone has, you know, has had their opinions changed. Yeah. And can you contribute that to, uh, to like technology, specifically like TikTok, Instagram, social media platforms? Do you think that's boosted the popularity of, of these ideas? Definitely. I think especially with how, you know, with political TikTok and like even before that, like political like Instagram or whatever, I think technology has definitely been something to help this movement because, you know, it's easier to get the the word out and it's easier for people to communicate with other people with similar you know, political views or not similar political views. And I think it's also easier for people to, you know, convert people um, into like what their opinions are. And I think it's also better because, you know, specifically for political TikTok, even though a bunch of us have, you know, really, really different political views, I notice that like all of us can come together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we we went down this rabbit hole initially talking about the popular misconceptions, um, and and the one that we did talk about was that it quote unquote wasn't needed. Are there any other um like popular misconceptions of of uh, feminism? Um, I'd say other than the fact that people say that it's not needed, people could also say um, we should, we should go back to our traditional values, or they could say um, you know, the common misconception that they just think that women are better than men. Yeah. Yeah. So a misconception that I've been seeing more and more recently is people bringing up the, the women happiness rate. Can can you elaborate and talk on that a little bit? Um, sure. So I feel like that misconception comes from the fact that, um, there have been studies that have been done that, you know, show, show the rate of women's happiness going down, whereas men's um, happiness rates have, you know, stayed the same or gotten better. And there was, there was like a 35 year kind of, um, period where there were a lot of, um, there were a lot of, you know, milestones that the feminist movement has hit. For example, like 1974, when, um, when Congress outlawed credit discrimination based off of sex, you know, a bunch of different things that were more, you know, uh, state-based. So, I feel like when people see that, they see like, oh, well, these happiness rates are decreasing. They think automatically that it is, um, it's automatically because of uh, the feminist movement and that we're forcing women into these roles of having to like go to work and stuff, which is tech, which is another misconception as, you know, feminists don't really want to force women into the roles of like working we just want people, both both men and women, to feel comfortable with whatever role that they want to do and whatever they want to do with their lives. But you can also look at like other variables that that might have contributed might have contributed to this while that was all going on. So like there was a rise in incarceration rates among um, you know the the husbands of these women. Um, there was which wouldn't affect 
but men because they wouldn't, they didn't uh, actually include people who were in prison with their, their happiness rates. But um, it, that dropped um, the U.S. marriage rates by 13%, which could have also, you know, played a role. But at the same time, you know, there are a bunch of different things that women have to go through that may be like damaging, like, you know, women are twice as likely than men to be diagnosed with depression, because like, you know, there's a bunch of different reasons that that could be hormone changes, pregnancy, postpartum depression, or postpartum psychosis, you know, um, sexual or physical abuse, eating disorders, etc. But um, I think one of the most popular reasons is because not is because not only are like the roles kind of pushed onto people at home, they're also being kind of pushed on people in the workplace. So I think with the the dual burden, it kind of just stresses people out more. And I think that's a big part of it is that people think that with these movements is something where it's like we're trying to force a role onto women, we're trying to force a role onto men when that's not the case. Yeah, I know that that was really well said. You kind of answered all the follow up questions I was I was gonna ask, oh. but um, yeah, no, no, you're all good. You're all good. But um, I think that's all the time we have for today. Um, are there any last words you'd like to share with the audience while while you have this platform? Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> just going back to like the the women's march. Um, I noticed that like a lot of people are going to be going like a lot of political TikTokers, and I thought that was really exciting. So if you like follow me, or if you like know who I am, or like if you're friends with me, or whatever, um, please let me know if you're going. Yeah, and and we'll put her um her TikTok at in the uh, bio of the YouTube video in the description of the Spotify and Apple podcast. Cool. Okay, so thank you for joining us this week, Nyla. It was great talking to you this week. If you're listening on YouTube, make sure you like, subscribe, and turn on that bell notification to stay updated on the latest episodes. If you're listening on Apple Music, give us a five-star rating, give us a review. We read all of them. And just a reminder, you can also find this podcast on Spotify. See you all next week, and goodbye, everybody. Behind the Politics is a Verbum production. I'm your host, Ben Krause, and Shada is this week's co-host. The show's producer and editor is Alan Yao. The show's original music is by Tane Dry, and special thanks to Dominic and Zach for your research support. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.